Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So we've got two readings today, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Um, the first reading is Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 9 through to 28 verse 6. So starting at Deuteronomy 27 verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I have given you today. On the same day, Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon. Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonours their father or mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbour's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonours his father's bed. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with any animal. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbours secretly. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And the second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. 
starting at chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? if it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks, Nicole, for reading. And good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you here this morning. Uh, I'm Simon, uh, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, If you have your Bible in front of you and you attempted to close it, don't do that. uh, And go back to uh, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And I don't know about you, but as you heard Nicole read uh, chapter 27 and 28, I bet you thought, wow, this is just so staggeringly relevant for my life right now. We, well, hopefully we'll show you that it is relevant and good um, as we hold to it, City Light Church North Adelaide, that all of God's word is good, profitable for our learning godliness and growth in becoming more like Jesus. Um, If you have been around here for a while, you'll know that I'm I'm married to Adele uh, and we have three small children, uh, 10, 7 and 4. And I was saying to someone the other day that I think one of the hardest parts about being a parent is being consistent. Um, I struggle with consistently, consistency in most parts of my life, but I think it's hard to be consistent as a parent, particularly when it comes to um, their behaviour and consequences for the things they do. I can easily get tired and they do something that they perhaps shouldn't really do and I sometimes just have this sense of which I'm just going to give in, not worry about consequences because it's hard to keep you know, with three small children to keep bringing the consequences and being creative with consequences as well, um, in a good way. Um, 
Perhaps turn to the person next to you just for the next minute or so, and I want you to think about what was one of the maybe most interesting or memorable consequences that you were given as a kid growing up, if you can remember, I know it's hard for some of us, that far back. Um, Have a quick chat to the person next to you. What was one of the most memorable, um, interesting consequences you received for something you should not have done? Go for it, I'll give you 60 seconds to have a quick think. I can't see anyone in the congregation kind of crying right now as a result of consequences, so I assume they weren't too terrible. Um, And perhaps you could uh, continue to talk about consequences um, you received as a kid growing up over lunch after our formal part of the gathering wraps up today. Um, And there will be consequences if you don't stay for lunch as well. Um, Let's pray as we come uh, to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord, uh, may your word uh, live in us today. Uh, Father, bearing much fruit, we pray, to your glory. Uh, Father, yeah, there are just parts of Scripture which um, on first reading do seem distant and perhaps irrelevant and not significant for our lives today as your people living in this city in this time. Uh, But sort of, we pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to see the goodness of your word, every part of it, Father, I pray this morning you'd help me to to speak faithfully and with power, Uh, Father, and we pray, I pray that all of us here today would would see, hear and love Jesus, uh, know him better um, and trust him more deeply and dearly as a result of gathering together today around your word and the power of the spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some years ago, I saw a poster outside um, a venue where the humorist, uh, libertarian, uh, and political satirist PJ O'Rourke was about to give a lecture. Um, It was a quote that I found hard to forget, Um, and this is what he said. There is only one basic human right, the right to do as you damn well please. And it comes with the only basic human duty, the duty to take the consequences. You may or may not find that interesting. You may not find that at all memorable. I did. But you can see his point. There is only one basic human right, he said, to do whatever you want. But it comes with the duty to take what comes, to take the consequences. I think you can see the point he's trying to make, especially in our culture, where I think we agree with the first half of the phrase, but perhaps not the second. Here at City Light Church North Adelaide, um, we usually take a passage of scripture and use that as the basis for the Bible talk week in, week out. And we've been working through this ancient book of Deuteronomy for the past 10 weeks. And we're going to wrap it all up next week, by the way. So 11 weeks. And we're now at Deuteronomy 27 to 28. And the chapters are all about consequences, consequences. Let's um, set the scene. If you haven't been with us for the last 10 weeks or so, or if you've just kind of forgotten, um, we're probably sometime in the 13th century before the Lord Jesus Christ came onto planet Earth, like 3,300 or so, give or take, years ago. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, Israel, are camped on the eastern side of the Jordan Valley, and they're facing the land of Canaan in the west. That's where the whole book of Deuteronomy actually takes place, on the plains of Moab, um, preparing to go into the promised land. On the plains of Moab, just to the west is the land of Canaan, which they're about to go in and take as their possession. 
Moses, the man appointed by God as the leader of God's people, speaks to, actually he kind of pleads with the people on God's behalf. He reminds them of how they got to where they are in the first place. He reminds them of what they've learnt, actually more often what they've not learnt, uh, chapters sort of one, two, three, four and onwards. And then he lays out for them in this long section, chapters five through to 26, God's instructions for how they are to live as God's people in all aspects of life, living with God, the one true God as their God in the land. And that instruction is what we know as Torah, instruction, law. And it's laid out for us, chapters 5 through 26, which we've kind of unpacked a fair bit over the last few weeks. Now, just briefly, on chapters 12 through 26, uh, which is this long middle section of the book of Deuteronomy where it's just like law after law after law after law, instruction after instruction. It's actually the most comprehensive collection of laws and instructions that we have in the Bible. I just wanted to make one comment on that to kind of wrap it all together to help you see what it was all about. And I'm drawing here on a guy named Dr. Gary Miller, um, Queensland Theological College principal. Um, he's a wonderful guy, right? Anything that Gary Miller does, like get your hands on. Um, he's the most unassuming little Irish man I've ever met in my life, um, but he's used by God so powerfully. He's wonderful. Anyway, all that to say, this is what he says of these central chapters, 12 through 26. He says this, these chapters are packed with rules and laws but also full of motivation and reminders that God is kind, gracious and loving and utterly committed to his people. They paint a picture of all of life lived before God. They describe right worship, right relationships and a right attitude to every detail of life. It's a scattergun canvas, he says, where early on Moses is consciously expounding the Ten Commandments and then he continues on this broad canvas to ensure not that every circumstance of life is addressed in the laws, but that the law code itself convey that every part of life fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ in a wholehearted, as a wholehearted worshipful response to the grace of God. I love that little summary of Deuteronomy 12 through 26. And then Moses, when we turn the page to chapter 27, gives us, I don't know if you found this, this strange ceremony ritual that God's people are to perform in the land of Canaan. All right, chapter 27. So what they're to do is, right, they're to go into the land and they're to set up, set up large stones on Mount Ebal coat these stones with plaster and write the words of the law of Deuteronomy that Moses has given them all over the stones. And then Deuteronomy 27 verse 12 we read, six tribes of Israel, so God's people are made up of 12 tribes, six of the tribes are to stand on Mount Gerizim and six tribes are to stand on Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal are in central Palestine, today's West Bank, in the hill country on the other side of the Jordan. They form a large kind of natural amphitheater. Here's a picture. It's coming. Hey, there we go. Um, so you've got there on the left-hand side, Mount Gerizim, and on the right-hand side, Mount Ebal, and you can see how they form this kind of natural amphitheater, right? Um, I love Netflix, right? I mean, I love Jesus the most, but I love Netflix. Um, and I've been, anyone else get hooked on shows on Netflix or am I on my own? 
few people are with me. Right, um, we'll have a session together after church today. No, I've, I've, I've fallen in love um, with a show called Fauda, or Fauda, F-A-U-D-A, um, and it's all about um, the conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine and um, Jews and, and Muslim people. Uh, it's quite, as your pastor, don't watch it. Um, there you go. Um, won't be good for your godliness. Anyway, um, but it's a really interesting show. And what's interestingly, in the show, they, a lot of the action center around a place called Nablus, um, the city called Nablus, which is actually Shechem. Um, and Shechem in the Old Testament is a really inter- a important place where lots of promises and activity is made um, that sort of sets up most of the narrative of the Old Testament. Now you might be going, thanks Jacko for sharing your love for Fowda, that really means nothing to me. And if that's what you feel, that's what Adele said to me yesterday when she said, don't share that, Simon. Um, But I have anyway, so too late. Anyway, so you've got Mount Gerizim on the left, Ebal on the right, and Shechem in the middle, and that forms this natural amphitheater. Now, as I said, one half of the people of God are to stand on Mount Gerizim And they, from that spot, pronounce the blessings of God upon the people of Israel. And the other half stand on Mount Ebal, and they pronounce the curses on the people. Blessings on one side, curses on the other. And the Levites, the priestly tribe, presumably they stand in the middle where Shechem is. It's a pretty strange ceremony, isn't it? I was thinking we could do something like this this morning at church, like this half is the blessings people and that half's the curses and someone stands in the middle and we shout over each other, but we're not going to do that. Um, What are these blessings and curses that are to be shouted out across the valley all about this strange ceremony? What are they, blessings and curses? Well, they are consequences. They're consequences. The consequences for Israel's future behavior now that they've become the people of the Lord who has made his covenant with them, who's entered into a special relationship with them. They are consequences that they'll face in the future when they get into the land. They'll face, they'll face either blessing from the Lord or they'll be facing curse from the Lord. Now, it's not entirely clear how this ceremony used to work, but from chapter 27, verse 14, we see that there is to be a recital by the Levites of 12 curses which are to be read. They seem to be activities, right, that you could perform in secret thinking that you might get away with them, that God wouldn't see them. But the reality is God does see them. He sees all things. Verse 15, have a look with me. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. And so it goes on, ending in verse 26. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Do you see what's going on? These are all actions that are contrary to God's instructions, done by individuals, but even though done in secret, they will bring down the consequences of God's judgment, his curse. 
And by all the people saying amen, they all are agreeing to be bound by this. In the next chapter, chapter 28, a much bigger kind of picture of the nation is giving. And we see we have blessings and we have curses, consequences. The upside is God's blessing. It starts like this, Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. Have a look. If you, fulfill, if you fully sorry, obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then the blessings are recited. Verse 3, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out and the blessings keep flowing all the way down to verse 13 the Lord will make you the head not the tail if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God gave you this day and carefully follow them you will always be at the top never at the bottom on the other hand there are the curses which kind of begin exactly the same way as the blessings, but are much, 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 much longer. If you look at the text, have a look at verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Verse 16, you'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and you'll be cursed when you go out. And it goes on. For example, verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies of the Lord the Lord sends against you. And then it goes on all the way to verse 68. The blessings and the curses spelled out in lengthy detail. The consequences. Now we mustn't misunderstand what's going on here, brothers and sisters. This is not some crude matter of rewards. Nor is it, right, the case, right, well, if you, these people are good enough and they do what I, you know, they, they, they get things right most of the time, then they'll be able to earn the right to be God's people and things will go well. The book of Deuteronomy, if you've been around since day one, makes it very clear that God has already made these people his people through mighty acts of salvation, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. God has brought them through many dangers, trials and snares to himself. They are the recipients of God's amazing grace and ridiculous mercy. God's grace and mercy is always the starting point. Listen to what God, this is a bit of Bible flicking today by the way. Um, Come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six. Listen to what God says to his people through Moses. Have a look at this, chapter seven, verse six. For you are a people holy to the Lord God. The Lord God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. Verse seven, listen to this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. 
But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I hope it's really clear, brothers and sisters. Grace is the foundation of theirs being God's people and grace is the premise of the law that is to govern God's people. And that reference to an oath that God swore to their ancestors is actually crucial and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But all that is to say, generations before this event, God had chosen one man, Abraham, and told him to pack up his house, load up the Kingswood station wagon with his belongings and also his family as well, not to leave them behind, and go to the land that God would show him to go to. And I quote from Genesis chapter 12 here, right, and following, verse one. Genesis 12, verse one. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, Pack your belongings, get the king's wood, some fuel in there. No, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Verse two, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In the context of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the whole world is under the curse of sin and God's judgment. But God chooses one person and promises that through that man and through his descendants, God will bless the whole earth. And that promise goes down all the way through the descendants of Israel, down to the people who are currently camped on the edge of the promised land in the plains of Moab with Moses exhorting them to be that blessing, be that light of God's grace and his mercy. That Israel did not earn their salvation and the right to be called his children of God is made explicit in Deuteronomy chapter nine. If you're in Deuteronomy chapter seven, come forward with me. Deuteronomy nine verse six, where Moses tells them this. Understand then, that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. In fact, their track record so far has been so terrible that God makes it really clear to them in chapter nine, the next verse. Remember this, and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And so here they are after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, at the very edge of the promised land, and God through Moses says, it's time for a fresh start. A fresh start by renewing the covenant, the treaty, if you wanna call it that. It's what Deuteronomy really is, right? It's It's a kind of treaty renewal. Scholars have noticed actually striking similarities between the book of Deuteronomy and its form and human treaties established between powerful kings and their vassals in the ancient Near East at the same time. 
God has chosen a human form for this book, just like a human treaty between a great king and those whom owe him allegiance and loyalty. And therefore, in this book, the book of Deuteronomy, God, through Moses, rehearses the story of salvation on their behalf and also reminds them of their pretty rotten response to God's salvation. And again, in the middle of the book, chapters 12 through 26, lays out these instructions of how God's people are to live their whole lives in light of God's grace and before God. And now towards the end, he spells out for them that the God who is their God is not a God to be trifled with or mucked around with. There are consequences. Blessings, yes, but also the possibility of curse. And Moses will say in chapter 30, Israel's now faced with a choice, the choice of life or death. If they remain loyal to God, they'll find life and blessing. But if they prove to be disloyal, they'll be cut off from the Lord and so be choosing death and curse. That's the meaning of this weird ritual that we find in these chapters between these two mountains, blessings and curses as they're read out. And this ritual that happens between Gerizim and Ebal with Shechem in the middle, this ceremony really sets up the rest of the Old Testament. It's the foundation of what you read about when God's people enter the land in the book of Judges. It's the foundation of 1 and 2 Samuel. It's the foundation of 1 and 2 Kings. It's the foundation of the ministry of all the prophets of God, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the 12. This treaty renewal. Sadly, as Moses though expects here in Deuteronomy, the outcome is not good. The people really do not change. And despite notable exceptions, the project is basically a failure. Um, Literary critic and public intellectual Terry Eagleton captures it well when he writes in his book, Reason, Faith and Revolution, this, quote, there is a document, he writes, which records God's endless dispiriting struggle with organized religion, known as the Bible. It's not very encouraging, is it? Israel failed and faced the consequences. They experienced the curse of defeat. They lost the very land which they possessed for a while. They underwent a kind of death. But guess what? God didn't give up on them. He brought them back from exile. They did return, though things were never quite the same again. And from that time on, Israel, God's people, were rarely free from foreign domination by surrounding countries. So you might say at this point, really glad I came to church today. You might also be saying, is that it, Simon? Is that it? Do we leave it there as some kind of like cautionary tale? You know, don't be like Israel. No, we can't leave it there. Why? Because God didn't leave it there, right? Remember those promises? Remember the oath that God made with their ancestors, Abraham? God did not forget those promises. 
did not forget those promises. Um, let me take you to Galatians chapter 3. Flick way forward into the New Testament um, to our second reading that Nicole brought us. Um, that kind of, I don't know, we've kind of gone from one kind of maybe staggeringly irrelevant text that you might have thought in Deuteronomy to something kind of complicated in Galatians chapter 3. But turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Um, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia in the first century, written to these group of people, men and women, just like us, following the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dense passage, but I think Paul's point is clear. Paul is unpacking for his troublesome readers the profound implications of an utterly revolutionary event. Because what Paul reminds the Christians in the first century and what he reminds you and I this morning is that from the people of God, from Israel, has come a Messiah, a Saviour, who Paul writes in the opening words of Galatians, this Messiah who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, and that he raised this Jesus from the dead. This utterly revolutionary and game-changing event hasn't just kind of come out of the blue. It's the outworking of the promise that God made to Abraham. And it's not just for Israel, but for the nations. Paul writes that it's trusting in this Jesus this Messiah, this promised King that gains you God's verdict, you are right with me. You are right with me. Justification. It's important to say that every Sunday, but I think it's important to remind us on this particular Sunday, which actually the most important thing about this Sunday is not Halloween, the most important thing about this Sunday is that we celebrate the resurrection afresh, but it's also Reformation Sunday. A day where we remember the day that Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, nailed onto the Wittenberg Cathedral door the 95 Theses, where he basically said, the Pope is not the intermediary between Christ and his church. His word is the intermediary between Christ and his church. And nothing should get in the way of that. And that we are not saved as human beings through good works. We are saved by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ and by putting our trust in him. And so Paul is saying here the law, the treaty, the instruction we read in Deuteronomy doesn't actually bring blessing thinking that's the, the basis of your salvation doesn't bring blessing or justification. It just brings curse. Uh, Paul writes, chapter 3, verse 8 of Galatians, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And then he quotes Genesis 12, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under curse, as it is written. And now Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26, the last of the curses that the Levites would read out standing in Shechem. He 
who says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Israel has been cursed, but does that mean that dodgy, disobedient Israel is always under the curse of God? No. No, and here Paul, who himself is a Jew, a member of the people of Israel, writes the wonderfully good news of verse 13. Have a look at me, Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us. He's talking there as a member of the people of God, his people. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. That quotation actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Anyone who is hung on a pole, or in other translations, a tree, is under God's curse. And Paul uses that to unpack the meaning of the sin-bearing, curse-crushing crucifixion of Christ. He redeemed us Israelites from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The consequences, Paul says, of our rebellion, our disloyalty, our disobedience, our dodginess has been borne by Christ. Now, Paul doesn't say it here, but he says it elsewhere. This Messiah, Jesus, right, is not just a particularly good Israelite. You know, one of the best Israelites, you know, and therefore he could take upon himself the curse of the Israelites. He's not just another Israelite. He is the true Israelite, but he's also identified as God himself, the son of God. The one who became a curse for us is none other than the living God himself. God himself bears the pain of the consequences of our rebellion, our sin, God in himself takes upon the judgment that we deserved so that rebellious people like you and me can be forgiven and free. And so that we can sing humbly the great old song, and can it be that thou my God would die for me? I'd sing it, but that wouldn't be helpful. The reality is God took our place. He died for us because nothing else would work. We couldn't do it ourselves. And so he came and did it for us. And this is not just good news for Israel. It's global. Its impact is global. See verse 14. Galatians 3 verse 14, he redeemed us, Israelites, in order that two things might happen. That the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, to the nations, as was promised originally, Genesis 12. And so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The nations will now receive the blessing that God promised to Abraham. Sure, Israel has failed, but the God of Israel has been faithful to his promises. God is still going to bless the nations despite the failure of his people. A bit more on that next week, by the way. 
God is still going to bless the world through a descendant of Abraham, through one Israelite, Jesus, the Messiah, who became a curse for the sake of his people. And Israel itself, the believing Jews, who rest on the promises of God, receive at last the promised Holy Spirit by faith, so that they can now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, live out the law, do the law. And then Paul goes on in a rather complicated and difficult section, which we're not going to unpack in its fullness. He says that the blessing of the Spirit and the blessing promised to Abraham comes through Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, his descendant, not the law. Blessing doesn't come through keeping the law as the basis of your right standing with God. The law, it turns out, is only a stopgap and not the main game in the purposes of God. Huh, who would have thought? But that's how it is. Well, you may ask right at this point as we come towards the end, what does that mean for consequences? Does this mean there are no consequences? No, it doesn't mean that there are no consequences. But the terms of the consequences have changed. The terms are not God's instructions through Moses, the Torah, or keeping the law. The terms are Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel announces a day When the Apostle Paul says, God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. What matters is faith working through love. What matters ultimately is what you do with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there are consequences for each of us. How we all live our lives. For all the world, there are consequences. Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. But my word to all of us this morning, whatever your circumstances, be found in him. Be found in Jesus. I've been thinking about whether to use this illustration or not. I kind of walk the streets questioning whether I should use illustrations or not. I'm mumbling prayers and then I'm mumbling illustrations. If you see me mumbling, I'm doing one of the two things. But I remember um, it was actually in a Christianity Explored course that I sat through years and years ago, led by a guy named Rico Tice from the UK. And uh, one of the illustrations that he used, this is not my illustration that I was planning to use, it's really his, But he sort of had that, he sort of painted this picture. He said, what if one day, you know, like all of your life was flashed up on a screen and you're sitting like where you are now and all your friends and family and colleagues are there and they just see everything. How would you feel? If that was what happened today and my life was flashed up on the screen and you saw everything, I wouldn't be staying for lunch today no matter how delicious the poke bowls are going to be. I'm out of here. In fact, I just wouldn't even, I'd be gone. Because like we've all done stuff, right? 
We've, we've done great things, we've done lovely things, but all of us have done things that we would never want anyone to know. The secrets of our hearts, the secret things done where we think no one will see this, not even God, but, but what if it was all flashed up on the screen? And the consequences of the things we've done, the things we've not done. The reality is that all of us would be stuffed in the presence of a holy God. And yet the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting on his ability to keep the law, based on his ability to live the perfect human life, by trusting in him, his perfect life becomes our perfect life. His righteousness becomes ours. And through trusting in him, we are forgiven and free and set for eternity. There are consequences for our sin. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that those consequences, those curses have been borne by Jesus. And so again, my word to us this morning, whatever your circumstance, be found in him. Be found in Jesus on that great and terrible day when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. Live your life in Christ until that day. Be in Christ on that day the one who gave himself for you to free you from this present evil age, the one who burled the curse for you and for me so that you would share in the blessings promised by God. Be found in him. Trust him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for the cross. We thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all our sin and shame. Thank you for your amazing grace. Father, we realize that to stand before you as our maker on our own would be a terrifying and deadly experience. But we thank you that as we put our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus, we know you as Father. And that one day when we see you and enjoy you forever, we'll be welcomed in to enjoy the blessing in its fullness. Father, I pray for anyone in the room this morning who is not yet trusting in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that by your Spirit you would move them to throw yourself onto his grace and his mercy. And Father, for all of us in the room who do love the Lord Jesus and believe that he's died for us, risen again, and through him we have forgiveness and eternal life. Father, help us all in the room as well to throw ourselves afresh on the grace and mercy of God that you hold out to us in Jesus. And Father, by your spirit, help us to choose life. And Lord, I pray that we would all be found in him, 
that, Father, by your Spirit, we would all live for Jesus, love like Jesus, until we see him and enjoy him forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.